I would like to throw something at you. Something that you're probably aware of, but maybe you just need to be reminded. And it's simply this, is that most scholars and people would agree with this, is that we are living in the most entertained society that has ever walked this planet. The most entertained society ever. I mean, I look back, I'm only 30 years old, okay? And I look back to my childhood, and the first TV I remember was like this huge brick of wood, right? And you had to, you didn't even have a remote back in those days. Like, you had to get up out of your seat, I know this is foreign, get up out of your seat and go up and change the, uh, the clicker and it, like, turned this way. And there was only, at that time, you only had, like, eight channels. You know, you have four, six, you know, 11, 21, and that's all you had as is entertainment. If you wanted to watch a movie, you went to Blockbuster, right? None of that instant on-demand, none of that. Uh, for video games, we had to go to the arcade and throw in a quarter. And then Nintendo came out, all right? I got, I got a Nintendo for Christmas, and it just, like, rocked my world. I mean, this idea that I could play a video game on my own TV, it was awesome. And here's a crazy idea for some of you. What we did in the summer, we played outside. <laughs> we played outside. Like, my mom would be like, get out of the house, get out on the streets. And so me and my buddies would be on our bikes, jumping stuff, doing crazy stuff. Me and my hoodlums, we'd run the streets. I was in suburbia. I mean, we ran the streets. We had fun. We played outside. And those were, those were the days growing up. And to be honest... Lots changed. I mean, we are constantly connected. We're over-entertained. There's more entertainment, more to do, more to connect with, more information always at our hands, more to get involved in, more to read, more to have. And yet, we're so very bored. We're bored. Because inside of us is this inescapable longing. There is this yearning for something bigger than us. And it's why we love epics. Epic movies. It's why we love epic romances, epic battles. That's why as guys, I mean, you can't find a guy who doesn't love Braveheart. Right? I mean, we love Braveheart. And who doesn't want to join William Wallace, right? In the fight and hold up your sword. I mean, who doesn't? Right? As guys, we long to fight the battles, to protect the homeland, to rally around a cause. To rally around a cause. We long for something bigger than ourselves. Or epic romances. Ladies, big day coming up this week. Epic romances where where the two people overcome some odds and some diversity. And all, all, all romances end the same where they're together and one saying, you complete me. And she's like, you had me at hello. They always end the same way, don't they? They come together, they overcome the odds, but they move us. These stories, these epic battles, these movies, they move us and they romance us. We're drawn into epics, overcoming conflicts. And we're created for this yearning for that. We yearn for that, something more. But we're bored. And we're bored because instead of playing in this drama, instead of participating in it, we're sitting on the sidelines wishing and watching instead of participating and playing. And the word of the Lord, I feel for us as a church, is now is not the time to sit on the sidelines. That he is this inviting all of us to participate in the mission of God. 
that you're invited and I'm invited. And no longer should we just sit on the sidelines. But come on, people. Let's join in on what God is doing here in Pittsburgh and your neighborhoods and in your school. That's the invitation. No more sitting on the sidelines. Now, if we'll be honest, we have some reasons and some doubts and some issues why we don't participate. Why we don't get in the game. And I think one of the first reasons I would like to talk about, and we'll see it here in the scripture, is some of us say, I'm too old. Some of us say, I've, my time has come. I've done it. I've done my duty. Or maybe we're just missing the glory days of the old. Missing the glory days. But see, when we look at Paul's letter here in Timothy, I don't get a sense from Paul that that was ever acceptable. This is his final days, his last hour. He knows death is coming. But he tells Timothy, bring me my cloak. Bring me my books. Bring me my notebook because I got more to share. I got more to tell. I got, I, my ministry is not over yet. There's more and more and more I want to give. That it ain't over for, for Paul. And see, if Paul says, forget about the glory days. The glory days are now. And yes, Christ Church, if you've been around for a while, you've seen some amazing things. You've seen some amazing things here, people in third service. I mean, God has done awesome things here. He really has. But there's so much more to be done. We've only tasted it a little bit. And I tell you, the glory days are in the future. They lie ahead for us. There's many more to be won. Many more lives to be changed. That's the kingdom. It's his kingdom. And for Paul, it ain't over until he meets his father in heaven. Until he breathes his last breath. Remember, he's saying, I'm being poured out. I'm fighting the good fight. I'm suffering for the gospel. Not I'm too old. Not I'm giving up. Not I'm done. No, he's fighting for the gospel. I got to tell you, my grandfather, he, he's an amazing man. Uh, he has eight kids. He's 80 years old. I mean, he's raised his kids to know and love Jesus. I mean, just an awesome man. He's so very loving and stern at the same time. I don't know how that works, but he is. That's kind of how he is. And so this Thanksgiving, I, I went home, and I was around the table, and um, my sister, who's a senior in high school, she invited her new boyfriend over, which I don't think he knew what was going to happen to him. <laughs> so as soon as dinner was over, we all go watch the cowboy game or, you know, do our own thing, and he wouldn't let that young man leave. My grandfather sat there for 30 minutes and asked him the hard questions. I mean, I had sweaty armpits for this kid. <laughs> I mean, we were feeling bad. We were like, this kid, if he hangs around, he's a keeper. And but he sat there and shared the gospel with him. He sat, there and, he sat there and asked the hard questions. And at 80 years old, his ministry wasn't done. He's about telling people the good news. And I'm going to tell you, those who have a few years under your belt, us young people, we need you. We need you. We need your guidance. We need your wisdom. We need you to pour into us. That there are young people in this church who don't have moms and dads, or maybe have them physically but aren't really there. We have single moms without support. We have young boys who have no clue what it is to be a man. And I'm telling you, we need you. We need more Chuck Millers. 
pouring in. And I want to remind you what Jesus says. He says, open your eyes to the harvest because it's ripe. But the workers are few. Old folks, we need you. I'm so grateful for the men that have poured themselves into my life. Where would I be without you? Grateful, grateful. All right. Another reason maybe we don't participate, we don't join in this epic invitation that we all have, is that maybe we feel like we're too young or too new to the faith. When has that ever stopped God from working? Oh, he's too young is what we think, or I'm too young. I mean, if you search the scriptures, that is never the case. God doesn't care about our lack of age or lack of knowledge or whatever you want to say I don't have. He sure didn't stop using King David or Joseph and Mary. And Paul reminds Timothy of this. Timothy, he's a young pastor, and he reminds him in 1 Timothy, in the first book he, letter he writes to him, he says, Don't let anybody look down on you because you're young, but you should set an example in speech, in your conduct, in your love, your faith, and in your purity. And listen, that's what this church needs. I believe the gospel has taken root in your hearts, young people. It's changed you. I've seen it. Young people begin to show us what it is to follow Jesus. You lead the way. You use your energy, you use your passion, and you pursue God. You come in here and you set the tone for our worship. Don't sit in the back. It's interesting that young people have the ability to figure out and determine what hypocrisy is. And you have a hypocrisy meter. Point it out to us. When you do it, do it in love. But also, young people, we've got to be willing to receive instruction. Zeal without wisdom is dangerous. And listen, we don't have time to mess around. Don't be thinking tomorrow or the next day is when I'm going to tell my friends about Christ. Do it now. My dad used to call me a young punk. It wasn't a positive saying. But that's what we need. We need some young punks who don't care what anybody else thinks, doesn't care what the culture says, but they will rise up and say, I'm going to pursue God no matter what. No matter what anybody else thinks. Come on. And see, the church is supposed to be full of this. Young and old, all ages, beautiful diversity, working together for the kingdom. I see this in the summer. I get the privilege of going to Jamaica, and I take a group of parents and eighth graders. And it's awesome to see all these generations just coming together, working together. The old guys teaching the young guys how to build stuff and do stuff, and us young guys outworking the older guys because we have pride. But, but there's this beautifulness that it's working together for this common goal. So you're not too old. You're not too young. Not for God. The second reason I think sometimes we don't enter in and we sit on the sidelines is this. And this is going to be hit right home for us. It's because we've been hurt and there's much pain. No doubt many of, many of us come into this room with hurts and pains. 
many of which come from being in the church. Maybe you come from other churches wounded. See, Paul in this passage this morning is going to be very real with us and very real with Timothy. He's opening up what has occurred in his very own heart. He's been wounded. Wounded by co-workers for Christ and wounded by the church. He says in verse 9, if you look there in your scripture, he says, Do your best to come to me quickly. For Damas, because he loved this world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Then he will go on this. In verse 16, he says, At my first events, at my first defense, when I needed the church to be there, supporting me, no one came to my support, but everyone deserted me. Damas was a co-worker, a friend, a trusted companion who had left him. Have you felt that way? The church, which he gave himself for, right? I mean, the dude suffered for, he was beaten for, for the cause of the church. And I feel like he hits, it's like a mighty blow to his gut when everybody left him. And this very word he uses, abandonment, or deserted, is the very verb that Jesus said as he hung upon the cross and he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Paul was drawing a comparison to that same feeling as has he felt. And I'm very well aware that in here some of us feel that pain. Some of us still carry wounds from when Bruce left, Mark, Gordon, now John. These were men that we submitted to. These were men that we loved. These were men that we did life together. You could almost say they became part of your family, and we cherished them. And the pain still lingers. And the pain is still very real. Listen, I know this. I've been around here almost eight years now. I've seen many men come and go. And they may leave for different reasons. And these are people I cherished, people I stood up for, people I loved, people I submitted to, people I cared for, people I prayed for. And see, with every departure, whether it was for right reasons or wrong, I feel a sense of loss. That these are my partners, these are my people, and they leave. I know the pain, I know the hurt, and really, simply, it's a disappointment. And maybe you have the temptation this morning to give up. To give up on the church. You've had enough. But listen, church, this is where Paul is. In the pinnacle moment of his life, I mean, the church had abandoned him. His friends have deserted him. But listen and look at what he says next in the text. Verse 17. All this has occurred And listen to what he says. But the Lord stood at my side. The Lord stood by my side. The abandonment of men, those who had deserted, those who had left him, had been compensated by the presence of God. He was empowered. The divine made his presence known in his pain and his hurt. He stood by. And may he stand by us today. 
And in fact, I believe he does. When I look at Christ's church, really, how is it that we're not falling apart? I mean, we've gone through like four or five pastors in four years. I say that jokingly, but really, how are we not falling apart? Because I believe the Lord stands by. In the midst of the mess and the craziness, I still see the hope. I still see his presence here with us. Working on our hearts. And if Paul was to be bitter and to give up on the church, he really could. I mean, I think he has the reasons to do so. But the Lord was working on his heart. He was able to forgive. He was able to see the bride of Christ. He was able to find hope for us. So this morning, we mourn for the loss. We hurt. But we allow the Lord to work in our hearts. We find a way to love the bride. We find a way to love the bride. Lastly, another reason I think sometimes we don't enter in into the drama, we just want to sit back and just watch, is for fear. Fear just has a way of holding us back. Fear, if I really give in to what God is asking me, I'm not sure what's going to happen. Fear, if I share my faith, others may reject me. Fear of what others may think or what's culturally acceptable. Fear of not feeling qualified to speak. Don't know if I have the words. Fear of the unknown. What's going to happen if I really engage with God and what he's asking me to do? See, I can imagine that Timothy is in this place where fear is knocking on the door. Listen, his, his leader, his mentor, the guy that he looked up to was leaving. I mean, he's sitting here reading this letter and it's definitely talking about that soon Paul is going to die. Paul's going to leave him. And I can imagine Timothy going, man, do, do I have it? Do I have enough to lead? Am I gonna, is, the church is now falling on me. Am I capable? So much uncertainty that, that lies ahead. I can imagine the stress, what's going on. And the opposite is true, too. Think about Paul, on the other hand. He knows his death is coming. And now he's passing the legacy, he's passing the baton to the next generation. Uh, there's some fear there. These young punks can do it. But what I love is the benediction. The benediction. Sometimes we read over it, like you're on an airplane and they give you that announcement, put your seatbelts on, right? You know the announcement. If you have any carry-on luggage, put it underneath your seat. Sometimes we just kind of read over these things. But I want you to listen. These are Paul's last words to Timothy and in our instructions today, which I think are so very good. Listen, the key to fear is that you know that he will be with you. That the Lord be with you. And the second part, grace be with you. Timothy, know that the Lord is with you. And that his grace is there. There's an old childhood classic movie I love. You remember The Lion King? All right, how many of you have seen Lion King? Everybody? Okay. Great scene. You had the little cub, his name was Simba. And his dad was named Mufasa, who was the Lion King. And, and Simba and his friend, they, they're, they're playing, they're little cubs, and they, they run off, and they find themselves in trouble in the hyena's lair. And the hyenas are trying to kill them, and they got them surrounded. 
And they got their backs against the wall. And so little Simba has enough courage just to try to give up a big roar. Or roar, one of the two. And he gives it out, and it's just, it's so wimpy. I mean, it's, it's pitiful. And, and the hyenas start laughing at him. See, little did he know that his dad was right behind him the whole time. That his dad had his back. And I think that's what Paul's saying to Timothy. The Lord is with you. He got your back. He's going to fight your battles. He's going to give you the strength to overcome. As the psalmist says, as I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, because you are with me. And then secondly, his grace. Church, we may fall. We may bruise our knees and our elbows. But listen, we always get back up. Because his grace, this unending grace that we all need, it's available. So listen, we do not fear. We do not allow our past pains, our hurts to hold us back. We deal with those and we move on. We're not too old or too young to stop us from participating in this epic mission of God. So where are we? Where do we go? Some of us are sitting on the sidelines. And can I tell you, the sidelines have their effect. Like if you continue to sit there and watch everybody else participate and dive in, there's a lot of problems when you're on the sidelines. We begin to get critical. We get critical of the the, the coach when he calls a bad play, and we're like, dude, why did he call that play? When you're on the sidelines, you gossip. You can sit and talk about all kinds of craziness and foolishness. You become more of a fan. Yeah. We become distracted and lazy. What God is calling all of us is to participate in this. And what I hear the Spirit of the Lord saying to us, that now is the time, church, that we rise up. Now is the time that we get in the game. Now is the time we become the hands and the feet of Jesus. Now is the time that we preach the gospel. Now is the time that we love our enemies. Now is the time we get our hands dirty. Now is the time we serve to be generous. Now is the time that we lay our idols down and surrender. Now is the time we go where others won't because he called us. We love the unlovable. We love the broken. We love the hurting. And we tell others the good news. That I'm a great sinner, but he's an amazing savior. Church, now is the time. Not tomorrow, not in the future. The baton is before you. Will you you rise up? Will you grab the baton and and run? What are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? As we say, carpe diem. May we seize the day. Amen.